Hello and welcome back to Casting Nets Podcast. I am Will Harley, one of the hosts of this show, and uh, my cohort in crime is still recovering um, and getting back on track with all the work that's required of him after he had COVID, uh, and so we still keep him in our prayers. Um, as we continue our study, we are walking our way through the Unaltered Augsburg Confession, and today we have about three that we're going to discuss briefly. The first is uh, a look sort of on uh, really the church ceremonies, and then we're going to hit the worship of the saints, and we'll end with the practice of the Mass, uh, which is dealing with Articles 15, Article 21, and Article 24 of the Augsburg Confession. What we are planning to do here um, for today is is really briefly kind of just discuss what what these uh, what we're saying here in our confessions about such things. Um, I don't imagine that the conversation is going to be overly long, um, but just sort of give us a, a highlight and some reminders of of some of the things that we confess and teach here uh, as we hold dear as a Lutheran church. We're then going to be looking ahead. Um, and and be taking a a break here for a little bit. Um, We do have next week the celebration of Christmas, uh, a time when we we not only look ahead to the coming of our our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ coming back again, but also celebrate his first coming uh, as incarnate Lord, right? Uh, Taking on human flesh, being born of the Virgin Mary. And so we we do want to take a break and and celebrate that and have an opportunity to celebrate that. Uh, Also the week after that, uh, we will be celebrating the wonderful switching of the year, um, seeing and, and saying goodbye to uh, 2020, which is, let's face it, it's it's been um, it's been something. Um, you know, you might be of the opinion that that 2020 has been a horrible year. You might be of the opinion that 2020 has has really helped out your family and brought you closer. Um, I think everyone would agree that 2020 was uh, not what we expected, nor what we necessarily um, asked for or desired. But that being the case, 2021 is right around the corner. And again, the Lord will be in control as he always is. And uh, and maybe 2021 will be better. Who knows? Uh, I'm, I'm not a mind reader. I can't look into the future. I'm not a prophet. Um, and the Lord has not told me. Uh, what he has in store for us for 2021, but we look forward to it. So we're taking two weeks off. Uh, We'll take off for the celebration of um, Christmas and then also the celebration of the new year. And then in January, we'll be back and we will will continue our walk through the Augsburg Confession. We're almost done uh, with with looking at that. And then we will move on to to other discussions and and see where, where the Spirit will take us. Um, so before that, uh, the the views and opinions that we share on the show are just our views and opinions. It's it's our rambling thoughts, the things that we come up with, and and the stuff that rolls around in our noggins. And so if you don't like what we have to say, um, you are an adult. You can turn us off, and and that's it. If you'd like to discuss anything that we have said on the show or have an opinion about it, please don't hesitate to to stop and talk. Um, you can contact us through our website, of course, or you can. Um, find us at our churches. Um, if you know who we are, give us a call if you have the number. And by all means, we'd be more than happy happy to talk with you. So without further ado, let us have our, our little musical interlude and work our way into Article 15, Article 21, and Article 24 of the Unaltered Augsburg Confession. 
And we're back. I know those breaks aren't long enough, are they? Um, as we gather here for our look at the unal unaltered Augsburg Confession, we begin with Article 15. And Article 15 talks about church ceremonies. And, and I think church ceremonies are, are an important thing for us to talk about as we, we kind of just break out of the gate. Not because... Um, we necessarily have a lot of church ceremonies in in the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Church, but I think we have enough church ceremonies and enough things that we do within the church or or surrounding the church that that maybe we need to be reminded what is the purpose of um, a church ceremony? What is the purpose of a church rite? So as we we jump on into the text, it's very short for for this one. We're not going to be reading all of uh, the articles today just because some of them are much longer. But, but this one is particularly short, so we'll, we'll give it a quick read. And it says, Our churches teach that ceremonies ought to be observed that may be observed without sin. Also, ceremonies and other practices that are profitable for tranquility and good order in the church, in particular, holy days, festivals, and the like, ought to be observed. Yet the people are taught that consciences are not to be burdened as though observing such things was necessary for salvations. Salvation, taken from Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. They are also taught that human traditions instituted to make atonement with God, to merit grace, and to make satisfaction for sin are opposed to the gospel and the doctrine of faith. So, vows and traditions concerning meats and days and so forth instituted to merit grace and to make satisfaction for sins are useless and contrary to the gospel. There ends Article 15. So what are they saying? They're saying, and maybe this strikes a little bit closer to home um, because of the whole pandemic and everything else, but they're saying that that having an in-person worship on Christmas Eve, although good, isn't necessary. It can go away for a time, although wonderful to have and should be practiced and should be there, is not necessary for gospel proclamation. Also, having a a rite of confirmation, we, we call it the rite of confirmation, although wonderful and is good, or, or having the, the uh, um, question and answer for our confirmants, although right and good and wonderful for a review for all people and an opportunity to hear these children confess their sins is not necessarily uh, necessary, nor should it be binding on your conscience if for some reason you can't have them. Now, now, please don't get it in your head, uh, as I'm saying, that we shouldn't have those things. That, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what, what we're saying in the Article 15. What we're saying is these things are good because they're, they're teaching moments, right? They're, they're celebrations. They're things that we do within the service that highlights something special is happening. It highlights that something unique is going on. And those are, those are good things. That, that's, that's wonderful. It's needful. It's, it, it's very, very good. That's not what we're, we're, we're speaking out against. What we're speaking out against is, is the fact that sometimes in our head we can get it and, and say to ourselves that we have to have them because we've always had them. And that's what that article is, is trying to say we don't do. We don't do things just because we do things. 
we do things because there's a reason for it or that it's important or that it has a teaching moment or that there's something that's going on that that would kind of lend us to having uh, an oppor- an opportunity to have um, something different go on so that you can say, this is why we're doing it and this is the focus. Now, back in my history, I, I have some history with the um, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And before I became Wisconsin Synod, I had started there. And, and some of the things that they did there, we don't necessarily do in every single church in the Wisconsin Synod, um, the Wisconsin Lutheran Church. Some we do, but but not everyone. So w- a couple of the things that, that were done often in um, the Missouri Synod Church was the cross procession, um, usually done on like Palm Sunday, on high holidays, things of that nature. And that's where they would they would start with the cross in the back of the church. Everyone would stand while singing the opening hymn, and they would turn to face the cross, and the cross would come in, and they would follow the cross as the cross entered. And then there was a special stand that this, this cross on a pole would sit. Very interesting, nice thing. Um, Jesus coming into our midst, welcoming him in. Um, very Psalm 14, right? Uh, lift up you gates, you know, open up you ancient doors um, as we see the, the, the king of glory enter. Um, very, very um, picturesque in that way of, of welcoming the Lord and, and singing for joy as he, he enters in among us and, and comes among us where we are gathered in his name. A couple of the other things that, and one of them that I retain from that is is the making of the sign of the cross. Um, and and I don't know if people notice it when I receive communion personally. I make the sign of the cross upon myself. It's it's kind of a genuflect, um, as I remember what my Lord has done for me there as I come forward and receive the sacrament. Not you don't have to do that. Um, it's not something that that's required of you. It's not something that if you don't do that, you're gonna be punished. And it, it's just something that I do because I I find it, it it focuses my heart and focuses my mind, and it's a good teaching opportunity for when someone says, "Why do you do that?" It's it's remembering the cross, and and not only that, but it's remembering the sign of the cross that's both upon my forehead and upon my heart that marks me as a child of God through the waters of baptism. And, and so the, that practice is a good teaching moment. A couple of other ones that, that maybe we've had at times within our congregation, the imposition of ashes. During uh, Ash Wednesday, uh, at the beginning of Lent, um, many churches, especially in the LCMS church and the Catholic church, um, have the imposition of ashes where where they come up and they receive the cross upon their forehead in ashes and are reminded from from dust they they came to dust they will return. It's a good reminder, a very stark reminder that that we are really nothing, um, especially in our sins, and we are in need of everything that that God gives in Christ Jesus for us. Very very good. Um, I like the practice of the imposition of ashes. It's a Good talking feature, especially when you're not in COVID and people would leave uh, um, an Ash Wednesday service and they would go out to eat typically or they'd go shopping or do whatever they would normally do after the service. They then have this opportunity to, to be seen bearing the cross and, and, and it's uh, sometimes it, it leads to good conversation. Um, you know, why are you wearing that? What was going on? Uh, some of those things. 
colored pyramids uh, is another tradition and a rite ceremony, you might say, that we have in our churches. Um, and the colored pyramids are uh, something that's retained in Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Church. I like the colored pyramids. I think it is a, a wonderful, wonderful practice. Um, some churches have tried to go away from it. Um, um, you would also say, and I would link in there, the wearing of, of an alb um, and a stole. And some churches have gone away from that as well. Those are teaching moments. It, it doesn't matter. If you are in a church that doesn't wear an alb or a stole and you'd rather wear a, a, a collared shirt and tie or a suit jacket, whatever, that's up to you. But, but I do think that there is some importance um, in teaching what those things are for and why they're there. In the case of the stole, um, the stole is is the sign of office. It, it really harkens back to to the um, what was worn by the priests as they would have a, a prayer shawl that was put over them as they led the congregation in prayers. Um, the idea of the stole is the idea of the office that this is the person that was called uh, by the congregation to worship or lead worship in their in their stead publicly. So the, this is the guy that, that they look to to help lead them publicly in worship and, and to feed them God's word. And, and so it's a, it's a marker of a position. And, and so I think the stole is an important thing. You're not just like everybody else. But I think along with that, not just the stole, but along with that is the alb. And, and I'm a huge supporter of the alb. Um, not because I don't think that you can't preach or teach or do anything in a suit jacket or, or, or a shirt and tie. And I've done it in the summer. I've worn a shirt and tie because it is blooming hot in church and, and it just, you need to do it. But I think there's something important about wearing an alb. And the important thing is, is, is as a pastor wears the alb in front of God's people, it is a reminder to them. The white alb is a reminder to them of what we are because of Christ. We are clothed in white. We are the white-robed martyrs. We are, are those who, who are, are washed clean through the very blood of Christ. And wearing that white alb shows that. It, it is something that covers us. It covers who we are underneath, right? Because underneath, I'm just like everybody else. The pastor is just like everybody else. He's a sinner, just like everybody else. Um, he's a person, just like everybody else. He has, he makes mistakes. He, he, he lives his life. Um, whatever the case may be, but he does it just like everybody else. But when he puts that stole on, he, he is now in a position where he is speaking Christ's words to you. And so when he is standing in the front and he is in and he is that way in that position and he offers the forgiveness of sins it is as Christ is forgiving. And as he is preaching and teaching and he's administering the sacrament as it is as if Christ is is doing this for you. And he wears that all as a reminder that we are all we're all clean in Christ. You might not look at when you see each other, but but this is how we truly are in the eyes of God. And, and I think it's a wonderful teaching moment to, to understand what that alb is. Now, during Lent, we wear uh, a black alb. Um, some people wear a black Geneva, and, and there's a difference between a Geneva, a Geneva gown and, a, and an alb. I have both. Uh, the Geneva gown is more a judicial gown. It has really puffy sleeves on it. I'm not a big fan of them. I, I don't really like them. Um, they are, are predominantly started or, or founded in Reformed theology, uh, who are very much based in law. And so it's the judicial gown, judicial meaning law, right? It, it comes from a, a very law-centered styling. 
the alb um, is more of just like a a, um, a a covering, like an overcoat almost that just covers the clothes and 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 isn't flashy. It's just it's a covering. It it's just very similar to to what would have been worn um, by Jesus himself or any of the disciples. Just a, a robe that that covers you um, so that so that you're not naked. Um, and, and I think it's just a, a better traditional look um, that focuses on what we are. Um, we're not centered on the law. We are centered on, on what grace has made us through Christ, uh, which is forgiven, redeemed, uh, sinners washed clean. And, and so we have that. But in, in Lent, we wear this black one. And, and the black one uh, signifies our need uh, for forgiveness. So, so really what God sees me before Christ is black, right? That's, that's the, the whole process of Lent. Starting in Ash Wednesday, we wear the black robe because we're walking through this process of see, see my need. I, 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 I have a need here um, for what Christ will do on Good Friday. I, I have a need for him to die for me because I am black. I am, I am, I am disgusting. Uh, my sins are, are always upon me. And then, of course, after Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday, the white robe comes back because now I, I am what God is, has created me, what God has done for me through Christ. I'm, I'm forgiven. And so those are good things. Those are ceremonies and rites and things that we do within the church that, that I think are, are good and necessary. I, I think they paint a wonderful picture. Um, and, and I think those are, are things that, that should be retained because they're good teaching lessons, right? They're, they're, they're beneficial for us as as um, church members, church goers, that, you know, this is, this is what our Lord has done. This is what uh, we have to celebrate, and we want to celebrate it. And, and I think this is a wonderful teaching opportunity. Moving on from there, uh, we, we do take a, a look at then 21. And Article 21 loosely, um, well, actually, it doesn't really follow um, with ceremonies, but it does follow another practice, and that practice is, is what was retained in the Catholic Church, known as the worship of saints or the veneration of saints. And we in the Lutheran Church, in the Augsburg Confession, we, we do not venerate the saints or worship them. Um, we view them as, as they should be viewed, which is as, as people who are good examples. Uh, let me read to you exactly what is, is said here in Article 21. Our churches teach that the history of saints may be set before us so that we may follow the example of their faith and good works according to our calling. For example, the emperor may follow the example of David, 2 Samuel, in making war to drive away the Turk from his country. For both are kings— but the scriptures do not teach that we are to call on the saints or to ask the saints for help. Scripture sets before us the one Christ as the mediator, the atoning sacrifice, the high priest and intercessor. 1 Timothy chapter 2, 5 through 6. He is to be prayed to. He has promised that he will hear our prayer. John 14:13. This is the worship that he approves above all other worship, that he by be called upon in all affliction. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate 
with the Father. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. And so we have here uh, the very reality that that we do look, we, we look behind. And, and yes, we look to the church fathers. Yes, we look to, and, and it doesn't have to be like the saints, like major big ones, like like St. Uh, uh, Saint Nicholas, right? Or, or St. Augustine or uh, any of the others, uh, St. Thomas uh, or St. Luke or, or St. Mark or St. Matthew, uh, the disciples. I mean, you could be, you could be looking back and, and remembering your grandfather or, or you could go back and remember your great-grandfather the, who, who lived a life of faith. And that's a good thing. You know, we remember them. We remember the life of faith that we lived. We remember how how they showed us um, sometimes maybe their mistakes and things we should not do. And, and maybe sometimes remember how they they repaired those mistakes or they they worked beyond those mistakes through simply repentance and forgiveness and, and how they came back to the Lord. Uh, and so we use them as this, these examples, right? They, they make good life examples for us. Um, we're surrounded by a great crowd of witnesses, right? Um, all these people who are living their life of faith, and, and you could say that they are saints. At the same time, you know, you too, as a redeemed child of God, are a saint. Um, you are the simils, at the same time, sinner and saint. Now, we don't venerate those people. We don't worship them as if they now in heaven have some clout or, or some ability to do anything. I mean, that's just ridiculous. They are saved because of Christ. We are saved because of Christ. We are not saved because they do something interesting or saved because they have done something uh, or, or, or live such an extraordinary life that now they are, are placed into a position that they're, they're, they're able to control one thing over another thing. I, I, that's how the Catholic Church treats them. Certain saints have certain uh, control over certain aspects, and you pray to that saint, and, and then that saint supposedly goes to Christ for you and, and, and helps you. Um, of course, the, the greatest of saints is, is what they would say, the Virgin Mary, um, where they would say uh, that you go to her to get to Jesus because everyone goes to the mother to get to the son. This is ridiculous. I'm sorry. That, that that's just stupid thought. That that's just stupid thinking. Because that that's not how scripture says it. We as children of God, redeemed through the blood of Christ, can come to Christ. We can go to the Father through Christ. He is the mediator. He is the atoning sacrifice. He is the one who stands between us and God. And he says, I have died for them. They are mine. And because they are mine, they are yours. And we can now be considered children of God because of him. And we don't have to worry about having someone else other than Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, and only Jesus. That's it. And so this idea of worshiping the saints is ridiculous. But the idea of learning from them is not. The idea of understanding their life and looking at how they lived their faith gives us courage and bolsters us up. And so there should be a very good understanding of some of the church fathers. There should be a good understanding of uh, the, the people within Scripture who have lived their life of faith and using them as an example for us as we walk our lives, walk in our lives of faith. But to say that, uh, that, that we worship them or that we should worship them is nonsense. And I think that's what the, the writers in the Augsburg Confession were were seriously trying to focus the attention on we don't worship them nor do we we want to worship them um these are are strictly um 
well, strictly as they said, uh, these are, are people who are good examples for us, but that's it. Um, they are to be there as, as a guide for us to look to and say, you know, um, this is, this is a good thing for us. This is a good thing for, for us to look at. This is a good thing for us to follow. This is a good thing for us to, to understand. And, um, we're going to want to do that. And, And so that's what we do. We, we follow it in that way. All right, ending then our time uh, together, we, we do want to take our final look at, at the idea of the Mass. And, and this is a much longer section. Um, this is Article 24. Article 24 of the Mass. And it's almost a rehashing of, in many ways, the sacraments um, and, and refocusing on the Lord's Supper, but in a, in a way directly refuting the idea of the Mass and what was practiced there. Now you see that the idea of the Mass and, and what was practiced in the Catholic Church um, now and, and at that time was a, a re-sacrificing of Christ. That essentially they believed that, that um, Christ died for the sins of the world. True. But in the sacrament, in the Mass, the priest was offering Christ again for the new sins of the people, and that he would re-crucify himself for those people, and and this is and, and it's very that was a a very short and very loose way of explaining it, and I'm sure it can get much more in depth, but that that's sort of what was going on, and and then they would also limit um, the cup, which would be the wine, the blood of Christ, they would limit that from the. The, the, the congregant, the one who's taking it, the, uh, the presbyter. And instead, they would take it, at, the priest would, would receive the cup and then only give the host, the, the bread, to the people. And that he would take, and, and the, the thought was that the priest was taking the cup on behalf of the people. And since he did it, they didn't have to. Again, not... Not how, how the Lord has, has said it, not how the Lord has, has given it, not how the Lord has desired it to be. So what do we have? We, we retain the Mass in, a, in the extent that we retain the Lord's Supper. We retain what it is. It is communion. And we give both types. We give the, the wine and the bread. We give the body and the blood to the parishioner because that is for the strengthening of faith. We, we, we do this because this is how God has asked us to do it. This is how God has given to us for it to be done. So we retain these things. We partake in the sacrament together. Now, the big focus on this comes from the idea that, that the church, the Lutheran church, still follows the practice that has been retained since the apostles and retained since um, the Council of Nicaea. And in fact, in the article, as you went a little bit for, uh, further through the article and, and you go uh, through the Mass near the end of it, there is in paragraph 38 of Article 24, these words, The records of the decisions of the Council of Nicaea state that the deacon, according to their order, receive Holy Communion after the presbyters from the bishop or from the presbyter, from a presbyter. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 11.33 has the command in regard to communion, wait for one another, 
so that there may be common participation. Therefore, since the Mass among us uh, follows the example of the Church taken from the Scriptures and from the Fathers, we are confident that it cannot be disapproved. So what a wonderful thing to be able to stand on. What we do is we stand on the practice of the church. We stand on the practice of, of the scriptures. We stand on the practice of the fathers, which is saying that, that you know, there's an order to it. Yep. There is a decorum to it. Yep. There is a respect for it. Yep. And, and, and do we, do we say if you are not in fellowship with the teachings of the church, or if you do not understand what you are receiving, as in you're receiving the forgiveness of sins in Christ's body and blood and bread and wine for you, that maybe you shouldn't be coming up because it, you can take it to your harm. Yes, we are saying all of those things. But we're also saying that that this practice is the practice of the church. This is this is the lifeblood of the Christian church. And, and it, we're not withholding a portion of it for our own benefit or to say that we have power over you. No, we retain it for the sole purpose of the benefit of the believers that they may be strengthened in faith. Now, you can do that at any time. You can, you can of course, uh, celebrate the, the Lord's Supper, um, as was the major tradition during that time, um, during the high festivals, and when someone personally requested it, um, and then the pastor would come out and bring it. In our church, uh, which is normally the tradition of many churches, we, we have it twice a month. Um, I've known some churches that have it every week, and it is, it's perfectly fine. It's okay. I know some people look at it and say, well, they, they lose the respect for the sacrament. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I, I think they could. I think some people lose the respect for the sacrament no matter how many times they take it. But it's, it's not the, the point. The point isn't the person receiving it. The point is the Lord who is serving us and giving it to us. You see, the Catholic Church uses the Mass as a sacrifice. In other words, they believe that they are sacrificing Christ again for the people for their forgiveness. It's an action that they do so that God will, will give. But what really the Lord's Supper is, is a sacrament, which means that it is God who is serving us to bring us forgiveness. We're not doing anything for him. He is doing it all for us. One of the things that I, I did find interesting, and, and I've had some churches that practice this and some churches don't, and again, it doesn't matter. I'm not saying one way is right or one way is wrong. But I, I've often found it to be an enjoyable practice. And that is for the, the at least the pastor, if not also the elder, to commune last. And that is sort of what the, the part that I read to you um, here at the end when it talked about the, the Council of Nicaea. That's what they recommended, that, that the pastor and the, and the ones helping with communion not commune first so that they would all have this idea that, uh, oh, they're better than us, uh, the rest of the congregation think that, but that, that they should commune last because they are serving and then they are served. Uh, what a wonderful or a wonderful picture that makes that that the the pastor and the one helping with communion serve the people and then in turn the people have an opportunity to serve their pastor and and their their elder to help um different practices of course i understand in 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 the church that i serve um we we do it first the the elders come up the ushers come up who are going to help and they receive communion and then one of the elders gives me communion and that's fine. And then we go and we, we distribute communion because it's easier. It just is because after we come up from downstairs, after we have given communion to those who, who are down there, 
Um, then the, the, the elder who has helped me, he sits with his, his family and I go and, and I finish up the rest of the service. It just works that way. But that doesn't mean it, it can't work another way either. And, and that's the beauty of it. it it's not a, 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 a system where this is the way it has to be, otherwise it's not doing what it's doing. This is God serving us in his body and blood and bread and wine. And, and, and that's the beauty of it. And we retain that because that's what the scriptures have given to us, that God works through the means, right? Word and, and sacrament. Uh, he works through um, baptism, water and word. Uh, they're bringing us to faith. And he, and he works through the Lord's Supper, bread and wine, body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And, and, and it's beautiful and it is, it's amazing and it's wonderful and, um, yeah, we retain that for the sole purpose of the strengthening of, of believers and the unifying of the church. We've talked about the Lord's Supper before, so I'm not going to, to rehash that conversation. If you would like to, again, hear about that, I direct you to um, our episode 83, which was on the unaltered Augsburg Confession and when we dealt with the sacraments. And, and I think I would, I would highly recommend um, that you, you go back there and you would find that one. Um, I think that would really give you a, a wonderful recap of, of what the sacraments are and, and their importance. But that also then brings us to the end of our time here for today. So we talked about um, the ceremonies right? Church ceremonies. We talked about the worship of saints, and we talked about the article on dealing with the Mass. And now, um, as we have an opportunity to close, I suppose, I would like to uh, uh, talk just very, 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 very briefly uh, about wishing you a Merry Christmas. If you haven't had an opportunity yet to figure out what you're doing for Christmas, I do invite you to join us online uh, at the church that I am serving, and you can find us on YouTube, um, just search St. John's Maribel, Wisconsin, St. John Lutheran Maribel, Wisconsin on YouTube, and you will find our page. It comes right up. Um, usually I type in St. John Lutheran Maribel, W-I for Wisconsin, and uh, you'll find our YouTube page uh, coming straight up. If that doesn't help you find it, you can always go to our actual website page for the church, uh, St. John's Maribel, St. John Maribel.com. StJohnMaribel.com. You'll find there uh, a link to the to that very same YouTube page, so that you can watch our services for Christmas. Starting on Wednesday, we have uh, our our children's Christmas ser- or sorry Sunday children's Christmas service. Another children's Christmas service on Wednesday of next week, and of course on on um, Christmas Eve, we'll have our final children's Christmas service. Same service, but we're going to stream them all. And then on Christmas Day, we're going to join together and sing some some carols and have readings as we gather around God's Word and hear of His promises fulfilled for us in bringing His Son. So if you haven't had a plan of what to do with Christmas or where to go for Christmas or what you're possibly going to be thinking about because this whole COVID mess and everything else and you're not sure if you want to go to church or if you're going to stay home— those are an option for you. Uh, I know gathering around your television isn't isn't the same thing. I get it. Um, but we're going to try to make it the best that we can so that we can still bring you God's Word and, and that we can still um, um, share in the joy of what Christmas is, focusing on our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for you. 
That being said, um, I do wish you a very, very Merry Christmas. Um, I wish you the greatest blessings from your Lord and Savior, Jesus, as, as you look ahead to his coming again. And because I'm not going to have an opportunity to say this before, um, dear listener, have such a blessed New Year. Um, when you make your New Year's resolution, try to make them attainable. Um, my problem is I usually don't. Um, but but maybe I'll try to turn over a new leaf. Um, make your your New Year's resolutions attainable. Um, if you have an opportunity, gather around your Lord in the new year and uh, uh, let him start the year out right for you as, as you hear his words given to you. And until then, uh, until in the new year, when we gather once again for Casting Nets Podcast, I am Will Harley wishing you not only a Merry Christmas, not only a blessed New Year's, but... All the blessings that your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has promised to you. And please, share that with someone else. And so until then, I wish you God's richest blessings. 